So you've come up with a business idea and now you need to get it out into the world. Time for marketing. Because if you don't promote your product, if you don't promote your service, if you don't market to the world, how are you going to get any clients? The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. This is one of the marketing coaching series. And today I'm very happy to have with me on the coaching episode, Katie Coombs. Welcome to the show, Katie Coombs. Oh, Alan. Alan, hello. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. I feel like you need no introduction anymore. You're such a part of the show, which I love. So thank you for co-hosting this with me. And today we're both going to be focused on helping Jeremy. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Alan, Katie, thanks for having me. Excited to chat with you guys. Yeah, it's going to be fun. We've been looking forward to it. So get us up to date, Jeremy. You ran a mini experiment and launched a program called Right to Know You. What is Right to Know You? Yeah, I'll give you a little bit of background on it. So before the experiment that I did, maybe two years ago, I was doing a lot of reading and you know a lot of learning in general. And I, I figured out I wasn't really processing any of the stuff that I was learning. I was digesting a lot of information, but I wasn't really doing anything with it and you know, making it my own in a way. So I challenged myself to write every day for a year. And every week I would publish a longer form piece of my writing that was more shareable. And uh, I did that for a year. And that experiment was called 52 Musings. It was just a challenge to myself to say, okay, hey, you know, I want to dig deeper. I want to start doing more than just taking things in. I want to take things in. I want to process them. And I want to put my perspective on it and push it out into the world. And outside of that, after 18 months or so of doing it, I actually did 80 posts. I came out of that knowing myself better than I literally ever have in my life. And I was like, man, I got to figure out a way to take what I did, put it into a process and help other people through it. So that's kind of the the impetus of Right to Know You. So this is then the program that you developed to be able to help other people achieve the self-awareness, the confidence, that new level of knowledge that you were able to achieve. Exactly right. And it breaks down into very simply, it's a five-week program as it currently sits. And we do what we call four things five times. And uh, the first thing is you write for 15 minutes every day. You handwrite without expectation. Don't worry about trying to be Hemingway or a prolific author. Just move the pencil from left to right. You do that every day. And then once a week, you take themes out of that daily writing and basically pull those into a process that I teach people how to do called synthesis, is looking for those through lines in your writing and then putting something out there and sharing it with a larger audience. Sharing is just as important as writing every day. Sharing something makes you put your thinking cap on a little bit uh, a little bit tighter and say, okay, what do I really want to say? And am I saying it in my true natural voice and that sort of thing? So the synthesis and the output, the weekly output, the weekly insight is almost more important than the journaling aspect of it. And then outside of that, I do a coaching session once a week and then I have kind of hold office hours, just like a you know, a professor would, you know, if anyone has any questions (laughs) kind of thing. So that's pretty much the deal. And it's a lot of it's built on community, right? So you have accountability. We assign you writing partners. There's a private group that we get to online where people can lean on each other and kind of struggle through the first part of it together and then hit their breakthroughs and all celebrate. I love that. I love that. So tell us about the running, the uh, sort of mini experiment. You wanted to run a version to see if you enjoyed it. How did that go? Man, I was really inspired by the the attendees of this first little test. We had about 10, a lot of people just in my network. And there were a couple of people I didn't know, but most of them I you know knew a, a certain extent or you know certain depth. And um, man, it, it went phenomenal. Like not only did I figure out that I really enjoyed helping people uncover these things about themselves, each of them really dug in and uncovered and had the same epiphanies that I had or the same type of epiphanies, not the same exact, but they really opened up and discovered things about themselves that they didn't know. And they were inspired to kind of keep it running. So the experiment was a success in that, hey, I wanted to do this. I want to figure it out and uh, push it out into the world. I love that. So the the three tests we normally have of a mini experiment are, number one, did you enjoy it? 
Number two, did the customer enjoy it? And number three, did it make any money or do you think you could make money doing it in the future? And those are the three tests. And how do you think it passed on those three tests? So one and two, uh, unequivocally, you know, yes, was a success. Number three, I believe so. And the way we did the first experiment, we had a few options. There was a full price option, which a couple of people paid for. We also had a bet on yourself option, which was really unique, where people could um, pay a little bit less, but they had to wager on themselves completing the work. And if they completed the work, they didn't have to you know, lose their money that they wagered. But if they didn't do the work, they had to forego their wager. And the wager was to like anti-charities and interesting things like that. But um, I think this could be a business. I really do. I love that. So that actually brings us exactly to the purpose of this episode is we've passed the mini experiment phase and now we want to launch the second version and get lots of people to attend. Is that correct? Absolutely. Awesome. So where do we start? Katie Coombs, what are your thoughts so far? Oh, well, first of all, I, I, I feel as though I want to sign up, Jeremy. You've sold it so well. I'm like, where, where do, we got where a do spot I sign for up? You, Katie. We got a spot. I'll send you a link. Do you need my, um, my credit card details? Because I think that, that sounds great. So first of all, I'm very interested. It sounds like a great business, great project. The first thing I would say, and what I've written down is, who were the 10 people? Because you said they were people out of your network. Because I suppose that the way that I would look at this is we need to find out who are your customers. And you're the, your first customers are the 10 people that signed up and had the experience. So we need to find out as much as possible from these people understand them as much as we can because there may be clues there so that we can find out who and define who is your future customer. So could you tell me a little bit about the people that signed up, the backgrounds, ages, lifestyles, situations? Sure, sure. And like I said, this original group, I would probably say, you know, nine out of 10 of them were people that I knew. And, you know, age-wise, probably... The large amount of them were, you know, in the late 30s to mid 40s. There were a couple of outliers, a couple of younger guys in there as well. It was, let's see, we had probably, it leaned a little more male, maybe by one majority. Let's see, a whole mix of people, some professional, some entrepreneur. And it's interesting, the, the way you break down, who are we trying to serve with this? And there's the who will be served, like who will be excited about this. But then in my head, there's also a group that I want to kind of intentionally try and put out there too, is actually the version of me 10 years ago. Like I want people to get the insight that I got at 35. I want them to get it at 18. I want them to get it at 25, you know, when they're sitting at their first job going, man, something doesn't feel quite right. You know, I'm, I'm having success in this in this professional career that I was kind of guided towards, but you know, I don't know what's missing. And those are the people I want to help discover what's missing. Because a lot of times we just, we move from step to step, right? We move in a very linear fashion throughout our life from kindergarten to our first job to even when we retire. And if we don't have that, you know, that aha moment along the way, we'll stay on that path. And then at the end, we're going to be like, man, what did I even do what I wanted to do? So long story short, I love looking at the demographic of people that have attended, but there's also an intentionality of like me wanting to help people earlier than when I found the epiphany. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I've written down professional men under 35 mm -hmm. from some of the clues that you gave me there. So would that be a, a place to start talking about how you would target or would they be your, your people or the first? And Because I, I, like, I like micro-niching. I like mm -hmm. really narrowing it down so that we can go in and find these people and get them to sign up and get them to transact with us and experience your course. So professional men under 35, how does that sound so far? I think it sounds pretty right on the, um, the idea on, you know, skewing on the male side, at least to target niche is, it is, you know, general knowledge that, you know, men don't express themselves as well as women do. Now, whether that's right or wrong, that's a kind of a commonly understood theme. You know, that might also be good reason to, to target that as well. I think so. I agree. There's something here that Jeremy had an embedded assumption that the late 30s to 40s males could afford it, but the uh, 20 somethings couldn't. 
And there was sort of an embedded assumption that we wanted to give it away to these people because they might not be that excited, whereas the older people could. Was that in your thinking, Jeremy? That was part of it. And the other part of it was, you know, programs like these where, you know, the mirror is turned on the individual in the program, right, can be a little scary for people, I think. And I wanted to try and find different ways to make it approachable, at least initially. I mean, you know, I don't want to do free things for the rest of my life, but I also want to budget being able to offer that to certain demographics while having success in the paid area. So I don't know, that that was kind of my idea to experiment in that a couple of ways. Okay. Just with some of the things you've said there, the idea that under 35 may not have, or they may not be at this stage where they would invest in themselves at this point. Was that really what you were thinking about, Jeremy? Is that the, the, the point? You don't think they're ready to invest or they haven't got the cash to invest? Yeah. I mean, again, it was, you know, there, there are probably plenty of early mid thirties that have disposable income to invest in. So there's, I mean, there are two pieces of the puzzle, I guess. One is, you know, are they open to turning the mirror on themselves just in general? And then can they afford the spend? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm really interested to see if we can find or say something or find that niche that you just think, yes, they are my tribe. They are my people. They're the people I can help the most right now. And I mean, I think that when we look at men under 35, men that are maybe open to this kind of stuff, because a lot, I mean, I'm going to do massive generalizations now, you know, lots of people, not just men, not just women, not just men, not just women, and not just men aren't open to this type, <laughs> type of stuff. Do you know what I mean? They're just like, oh, I'm not journaling. What, well, you know, it's, it's not something I'm going to do. That's not for me. So I suppose there needs to be the, already that, that, that attitude that this is something that is a good thing, that we're not actually going to try and educate them that this is a good thing. They may be aware of it already, aware that the outcomes of this type of project could be beneficial for them. So they've maybe started a, a self-development journey, but maybe got a little bit stuck. Could that be something? I love that, Casey, because it actually made me think as you were speaking, it's people who have liked X course, or they've already done a Jim Rohn course, or they like X author, or they've done X self-development program already, they would be a great people for Jeremy's course, because that gives us a really targeted niche. People who've been through X program or done X thing. I mean, that's where I went from what you were saying. What do you think, Jeremy? Yeah, that that could be really interesting. You know, maybe they want to dig deeper. Maybe they've done kind of these first level things, right? And, you know, the group of people that did that first level thing is going to be more open to doing a second and third level thing, which makes a lot of sense to me. Okay. Um, just to put that aside, because I agree, I think that's a, a good thing. Because the idea of having to to educate people and, and tell people about this so they go, oh, all right, then it's almost like convincing them they have a problem or a need. Whereas if they're already aware of the need and even aware that this type of activity could help, I think that gives you a giant leap forward. The other thing that I just wanted to ask about, because if I said professionals, because at that point, that's a really wide niche and it indicates to me on a very sort of top level that they've got enough cash, enough money to afford to do something like this. Is there any way we could look at certain professions or industries where we're more likely to find these open-minded young men who want to better themselves, who want to develop further, who are aware of that there's a, something here that I could really get into? Are there certain professions that they could be in already or life stages even? Um, everything from, you know, getting married to being divorced, to changing job, to having children. I mean, is there something they could be going through? It's, it's almost like to start the thinking of who needs you the most right now. Yeah, that's a great question. I think when I first kind of dig into that, I think normally, you know, and this is how it was with me and I can just go by my own experience and then the tangential things that I see around me. But, you know, when I first started my career, uh, you know, I started in inside sales for a technology company, you know, I got in there, started having some success, you know, once you have success, you get some bonuses, and then you you're like, okay, even though this doesn't feel completely right, hey, I got a little prize here. And this this ride's fun, and I'm going to stay on it. But maybe a few years into that, you know, was when I had the kind of the aha moment is like, you know, is this is this something I really want to be doing? Is this is this something I'm just doing because it's comfortable? So maybe it's like a two to three years into that first career. Well, you've achieved your first success. So you would be at um, 
would you say director level or certain sort of professional level and employed? So you'd be employed by maybe a tech company because you're you were employed by a tech company. Mm-hmm. Are we looking at young men, successful men who are working in tech, who are yeah, currently I- having that realization that hang on a sec, there's more here, and I could, you know, I've been on, I've read somebody's book or I've been on a course or I'm aware that other people I know or women that I know do this sort of stuff. Is there something for me? Yeah, I think where where my brain's going, Katie, and it's really interesting just to like, you know, observe what's happening real time in this conversation is while I know the niche thing needs to happen, like we need to get super targeted. I find myself kind of being resistant to it, which um, because I want to help the most people possible. But the only way to do that is to target and then have success in that target and expand. So I'm, as I'm talking, I'm kind of wrestling at the same time, which is really interesting. The tech thing might not be a bad spot. I mean, it's a pretty big industry. You know what's interesting about tech? And this is just my own experience. There's a lot of creative people in tech. You know, coding is a super creative. You know, just technology in general, there's a lot of musicians in IT departments that I've noticed. I'm a musician myself, and I would always connect with these guys and you know, oh yeah, I've been playing in a band for years and all that. So I don't know, there might be something to the, you know, the IT world that may be interesting for this. So uh, I have a thought on this wrestling. Um, well, before I do, Jeremy, why do you put a T in niche? Uh, it's a, it's a yank thing, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, niche. marginal abuse. Uh, yes, niche. It does appear to have a T, but yes, we know Actually, exactly what I, you mean. I thought I said Nietzsche. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, even better. I yeah. love it. We've got Nietzsche marching. I can't even. My mouth has stopped working. It's all over. Someone give this man a podcast. Um, so, niche marketing is fascinating because I had exactly, and I still do the same reaction to you. I want to help as many people as I can. I want to get out there and help the world. I want to make a difference. Let me out there. And what are you doing? Telling me that I need to say no to all these people. And I think. The first element of this is we're not telling you to say no to anyone who comes to you. We're just telling you that the marketing should be focused because to market to the whole world is incredibly costly in time, money, and energy. And if you choose a niche market, it gives you a focus and it's easier to reach and it's easier then to become famous amongst that one market, then the world will spread, then your message will spread, and then you'll reach more people. And actually, it's interesting, the inverse of what we think will actually happen. So by getting famous in one area, your fame will spread, and your message will spread and you'll help more people. By trying to help everyone, you'll end up helping no one. And this is something that I really, well, I still have to learn because I'm still doing it with my podcast going, I can help anyone start a business. No, Alan, you've got to focus <laughs> on promoting it to the people that you think, and it's just your first best guess. And the other piece here is you might have a couple of niche markets that you choose and you go, actually, Casey's exactly right. Let's go for young, successful men working in tech. My second niche market will be people who have done the Jim Rohn CD sets and Jim Rohn fans, because Jim Rohn talks a lot about journaling as a tool. And my course would build nicely from what he's doing. And then you might have a third one that is something completely else. And then we design that marketing to reach those people. And I think for the people listening to the podcast, what Katie is doing here is helping us to really get down to who it is before we go into solution mode and work out what marketing methods we use. Because a lot of marketing people will go straight to, have you got a flyer? Have you got a website? Are you using Facebook? Mm -hmm. And the key before you do any of that stuff is who are you trying to reach? Because a lot of those marketing methods will be irrelevant depending on the market. I totally agree. It's a strategy before tactic. Now I'm I'm 100% on board with what you're saying. Yes. So before I rudely interrupted Katie Coombs, uh, you were taking us down a route of defining this market, Katie. I have no idea where I was up to now. I'm totally lost. <laughs> way, to, way to derail it, Alan. Yeah. He said niche. He said niche. And I was I don't know what we're on about now. Sorry. Uh, yes. Yes, I do know exactly where we are, Jeremy. I've just been sitting here as Alan's been speaking and hypnotized by his voice and thinking about... 
um, the people that you could help, the people most likely to buy, the people who need you the most right now? These are the questions that I always ask people when they're trying to work out who their target market could be or their first target market, the first niche or niche that they want to go for. Who needs you the most and who are the people most likely to buy and could they be the same people? Because I do think that there's some knowledge of uh, personal development needs to be there for them most likely to buy so that they understand your offer and the results of journaling and the effect it could have on their lives. And who needs you right now are the people who I think, I don't know, Jeremy, what you feel, but people who are going through something, they're most likely to recognize that they need help. So they could be going through success, but it feels a little bit general. To me, it needs to be going through redundancy or a life change uh, where they're looking for that help. They, to me, need you right now and are more likely to go, yep, I'll sign up for that. That's what I need. I need this help. So it helps with our, with our targeting and when we use the different marketing methods to reach out to them, how we find them. Because otherwise it could just be, still feels a little bit general if they're just working in tech and they're doing quite well. Mm-hmm. Is it entrepreneurs working in tech who have just sold their business? Is entrepreneurs working in, I mean, it's a huge change of life when you sell your business, as you know. Is there something happening to them? Is it entrepreneurs? Is it, is it you know, what I would call company men who are working for an organization or entrepreneurs or creatives? Or is it people who work in tech who consider themselves in the wrong industry? who want a creative life. So when they read your definition, they go, God, that's me. That's me. Yeah, no, no, this is, this is all great, Katie. I think the thing that I keep coming back to is the being stuck. And the reference I always use, and Alan's heard me say this before is, is the conveyor belt, right? That you're stuck on the conveyor belt. You're being kind of lulled into this linear motion. You feel like there's something a little bit off, but you can't define it. You want a way to get off the conveyor belt or at least get off it for a little bit, but you don't have the trigger. You don't have the method. And this could be that method or that trigger to get off the conveyor belt and start looking more orthogonally instead of looking linearly to what's happening. So I don't know. I I keep going back to that, like someone who's being lulled into this linear motion, pacified by the mini rewards along the way kind of thing. And, you know, kind of ignoring that inner voice, ignoring that, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a small voice and, and over the years it gets bigger and bigger, but I keep going back to that. Is that, is that still too general? Like, what are you, what are your thoughts there? No, no. I think that the language that you're using is, is always the clue, the convey about thing as you're, as you're talking about it. Yep. I know that feeling. Lots of us know that feeling when we have jobs and (laughs) I know it comes around to, yeah, we've been there Sunday night before you go, oh God, I've got another week and you're wishing the week away and you get to Wednesday and it's just two days left and you're wishing your life away. And, you know, you have that moment where you think, good God, I'm wishing this away. So that's happening to people. You know, that's happening to people. And I know that's happening to people. Is there a way that we can, is it the the language we use around your offer so that they can self-identify so they can read and go, that's me. So they can see themselves immediately and think, that's exactly who I am. That's the problem I've got. This man knows what I need. So yeah, why not? Because if we're thinking about, if we go for a sector, so tech, that allows us to, to market towards a, you know, you can even do an area, geographical area or a type of tech or a function within tech, whether it's... Um, sales or or techie tech do you know that section in in tech that's called techie tech no no. (laughs) so made ups the made up department called techie tech where they do the coding that's the techie tech department um yeah so is it is it salesmen better than the ticky tack department i guess right (laughs) ticky tack yeah (laughs) so is it the techie techies or is it the creative techies I, i mean can we narrow it down even is it people who work in sales or men who work in sales especially when you said there's the rewards. So within sales, is there a, a, you know, is there a treadmill or there's this conveyor belt feeling of being in sales, but then when you get a big sale, bang, you feel great and you get your reward and you think, oh yeah, but I've just earned X thousand dollars. So I'll I'll, I'll stay here. So that, that could be really interesting. Number one, because that's kind of where I came from and I identify with that. And the language that I'm speaking that, you know, I referred to a little bit ago, the conveyor belt and lulling and all of that, like if I heard that language when I was in that sales position, I'd have been like, damn, that's, 
okay, like let's let's explore that a little bit. So maybe that's an interesting test. But the sales thing is is interesting from another perspective too, because while there are a lot of great salespeople that go into sales because they love sales and they love the game and they love, you know, they're really good at it. There are a lot of people I think that go into sales because it's like, well, what else do I do? I guess I'll do sales, right? So maybe there's mm-hmm. a bunch of people in that world, just like me. I mean, that's exactly what I was. I was a bartender and I, the president of the company that I was ended up being a sales guy for came into the bar and then finally was like, dude, when you're ready to quit vampire hours, you know, give me a shout. And I eventually did. I was just getting married. And I was like, well, I guess I'm, I'm, guess I'm a sales guy, you know? So that could be interesting. Yeah, as you're speaking, I think, um, especially if you've had experience of it as well, because, I mean, it, it very much it mirrors your life. So that when you're speaking to people and designing this course for people, it's because you've lived it. It's like, you know, you, people are going to take direction from you, from somebody who's traveled on that road, on that, on that path. So it resonates. People will believe you is more likely to, to trust what you say because you've experienced the same thing. They can see themselves in you. This idea that we're trying to, get to niche you down to, I mean, I've written down, I don't know if you've, you've written anything, but you know, salesmen under 35 mm-hmm. working in tech who are tired of the conveyor belt of life or the conveyor belt of work and life. Some wording around that, I mean, the exact words, I mean, we can play with those forever, but that kind of feel... And the idea that we've identified there's a conveyor belt here that they're on and actually working with you on your course gives them the power to change that. Yeah. It's the key to changing it, that they've got the power and they're going to unlock that power within them. So yeah, is that, does that, I think we're, we're kind of guiding you towards a, an area. How do you feel about this? Or are you sitting there thinking, oh my God, there's only four men like this in the whole of the US. How am I going to find them? No, I mean, I, I'm I'm still squirming a bit just based on the what I was talking about earlier. But I know we need to target, and identifying a target makes a whole lot of sense. And I'm, I mean, it, it seems to make a lot of sense to me, just of what you said. But also, that's kind of where I came from. And part of the success of the first program, the first little test was, you know, I think it resonated with people because I did the program before I made it a program. So I think there's a parallel to that with who we're targeting because we're targeting me, you know, in a way, ten years ago or whatever it was. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, the more I think about it, I mean, successful salespeople, successful salesmen understand psychology. They have a, some level of understanding of psychology because to be successful within sales, you have to. You have to be fairly emotionally intelligent. Mm-hmm. Therefore, the likelihood if they are successful within sales, they are aware that there is a journey of uh, personal development. There is more they can do. So I think that might be an interesting thing in itself, the successful part of it, by defining them as successful, when we target them, we're looking for the high achievers. We're looking for the, the high flyers within tech who are selling loads, but they, something's not working for them. It's the conveyor belt. They want off, but they don't know how to or what to do. Yeah. And, they're, and they're, every time they're like, man, I got to do something different. They have another amazing year and they you know, get this amazing check. I'm like, ah, maybe things are okay. Maybe I'm good. And they're they're kind of lulled back into it with this reward. So I, I like it. I like it a lot and maybe helping them break that cycle. And, you know, certainly there are a lot of people in that world that that's where they want to be and that's where they love to be. But I think there's the potential of people in that world because, you know, that's just what someone suggested they'd be best at kind of thing. Jeremy, was there a trigger for you the way you had that realization? So the, the realization for me came over time, I think, And, you know, I want to shorten that cycle for people. I think for me, it came over a lot of years where, you know, it'd be great to to short circuit that a little bit. Actually, this is the process. And I think what we're not trying to do, Jeremy, is get you to decide that it's salesmen under 35 in tech are the only people you're ever going to work with. This is just the opening marketing test. So we decide on the market. We put together the materials. We put it out to them and we ask them to buy and we see how they react. And that's the opening marketing test. And I think marketing is a continual process of refining the market, the message, the price and the pitch to get ourselves the customers to do this. So we're definitely not trying to tie you down permanently so you don't have to squiggle or squirm that much, Jeremy. Uh, it's just an initial guess. These are the people I'm going to have a go at selling. And it might not end up being the market we work with, but it's our first best guess. 
Yeah, absolutely. The the squirming is minimal. <laughs> <laughs> well, we need to dial it up then, Katie. Oh, I've got more. I've got more. I'm ready. Let's go. I was going to ask you about price, Jeremy. Just on just aside, a price. What's the investment that you'll be looking for from these people with, to sign up onto your course? Yeah, and that's been floating around quite a bit. But I, I had kind of the epiphany of, well, I'm doing another group that's starting at the end of uh, January. It starts on January 28th. I've got a few people signed up for it already. And um, that price is a little different than it was the first time. So the first time we did it, we had a full price at uh, 500 bucks for the course. And then we did the tiered option of pay $100, which is a little bit less, but you had to wager $500 you know, on you completing the work. And then I actually did another one that was joined for a penny, but you had to wager 1250 bucks, which I was like, no one's going to do that. Holy cow. And I had to get confirmation of people putting funds into this third-party account to wager, and they all put the funds in there, which was, which was amazing. But anyway, long story short, I looked at that price, and I'm like, you know, I think 199 bucks seems more of a reasonable push for a five-week program. So that's where I'm going with for January. So like you said, Alan, earlier in the iteration and that sort of thing, I'm in my second iteration of the pricing piece of it. Just my reaction to the price, first of all. So $500, uh, $500 I thought was fairly cheap. And then you've told me that you're going to go down to $199. I would be interested in raising that price because I think it seems kind of, it's my first impression, you know, quite cheap. And the other thing that I'm fascinated by is the wager element that you are, you join for a penny and you're, you're, you know, you're betting on yourself. That resonates so nicely, I think, with this sales, successful salesman type figure or stereotype that I've got in my head. That seems really quite exciting, the idea that you're, it, it shows great confidence from you that you, they will finish it, as in from the, the supplier, from you, Jeremy. And also, it's a way of betting on themselves to finish it as well, so it makes them accountable and everything else that comes with it. So the idea that you, you, you join for a penny, but you can pay 1200 bucks or $1,200 on completion, that's really exciting to me. How do you feel about that? So pay 1200 bucks after you've done the work? Yeah. Mm, that's flipping it on its head a little bit. And it's pretty interesting. Um, the challenge there, I think, because the bet was in place, the, the, the idea behind the bet was it was in place to incentivize them to actually do the work. So if they did the work, they kept their money. If they didn't do the work, they lost their money on a weekly allocation basis, right? Okay. So you find them for doing it. Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. But saying, hey, you know, as long, well, let's see. Yeah. I may have got this bit mixed up now. I think I got excited and now I think I've turned it on its head because in the end, as, that would mean that as you're coaching people through this process, if they complete it, you don't make any money. Right. Right. In my version <laughs> of it. Yes. In my version of it. Yeah. So, so ideally, you know, I guess if we look at that applied to the sales salesperson niche, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of salespeople would be like, yeah, I can do this. You know, I'll totally bet on that. So there is the the challenge of like, okay, I've got 100 people signed up. They've all done the penny option. I'm making, you know, a dollar for, <laughs> for all of this work, which I don't want to go. But the interesting thing about it too, I, I think we all have this social aspect of, of a lot of us do anyway, of running our businesses and being able to have a, a social give back mechanic to it. You know, maybe I only allocate a few spots for each course that I put out that people can do the penny option, but I get to pick the charity that the money goes to maybe. I don't know. I also, having listened to this, Katie, my wife will thank me for saying this. It's not binary, Jeremy. It's not either one cents or 200 or 500. There is plenty in between. And there's no reason why you can't mix the models and actually say it's 200 bucks to come on the course and you have to wager 200 bucks or it's 250 to come on the course and you've got a wager 250 so you're getting mm. paid and their commitment is heavier the course is half price for them if they actually do the work and if they don't that money then comes out of escrow and goes to either the anti-charity or you could use it to make more money for yours and give away spots in the future so every person who fails funds a person to go for free for the next time but there's many ways to wow, do this yeah. 
That's nice. I love, I love the funding the scholarship piece. That's cool. Yes, I like that, Alan. The idea that you'd be paying for somebody else to do it. Mm, that's your wager. That's your wager. If you do the work, <laughs> you get half price course. If you don't do the work, then you'll fund someone else coming on the course who will get the value out of it. That's really good. I like that a lot. And I think a high pr- higher price point as well for going for the successful people. Yeah, just thinking on this, Katie, like where, where are you landing based on, I mean, I haven't given you a lot of information about what the program entails, just a high level, like what does your gut tell you? When you explained the program at the beginning, and then when you told me the price, the two didn't seem to match together. For me, it's the outcome. What do people get? The value that people get. And you're talking about, I mean, life-changing value. These young men are on this, this conveyor belt. It's not working for them. They're not feeling good. They feel that they're wasting their lives in a way, or it's just they're almost on autopilot. And you're giving them the opportunity in a process that will radically change their life for the better. It's got to be worth more than a couple of hundred bucks. And also we're talking to people who've got a fair amount of disposable income. Mm-hmm. Plus with the pricing model that Alan's just said, which I think is really interesting, it does allow you then to help people who haven't got that type of cash, which is attractive to everybody, including the, your customers, the guys who have. It's attractive to you because you want to give back and you want to do the right thing. And of course, it's going to be attractive to people who haven't got that cash as well. So we can also go and target them specifically with the, the scholarship offer separately. I just think that the value, it's the outcomes that they can get from working with you and journaling and doing the course are so massively profound in their life that could change the course of their life. It's worth a considerable investment. You know, it's interesting, Katie, and I, I appreciate the, the kind words. The, the one person that actually paid full price and didn't do the betting option, I would argue had the most profound output. You know, and when we did the rap call at the end of the program, you know, there was a moment where I was like, wow, there is like a massive change in this individual. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I struggle with the whole idea of, you know, I want to get it out there, but there is tremendous value and there's years of work putting the program in together and testing it on myself and all of this stuff. So, yeah, I appreciate your perspective on that. So this is all sort of part of the marketing mix. We decide on the niche market. We decide on the pricing. And there's only one way to know if these are the right things and that is to test it. The only way to know if this will work or not is to put it in front of a bunch of people and see if they buy, see if they resonate, see if the message is right, see if the market is right. That's the only bit, which is kind of, I guess, where we need to go next, would you say, Katie, which is how do we get it in front of these people? That's it. We need them to look our way, don't we? We need these these successful young men to look our way, to look Jeremy's way and go, hang on, this looks good. This speaks to me. And how do we get them? How do we reach out? So they, they kind of look at us, look at Jeremy's business, look at the offer, look at the website and attract them. So I suppose it's thinking about the types of marketing methods, the channels we could use. With it. Is, it, is that social media? Do we need to be in the places where these successful young men hang out? Who are they? Where do they hang out? What do they read? What do they play? Where do they drink? Do they play sports? What other places are they? And can we be in those places so that they can hear or see or speak to us and get the message, get Jeremy's message? So I think once you've defined, if we do go for this or just to use this kind of typology, this type of person as an example, I mean, it's something that I do, which is I give them a name. I give this individual a name. I imagine him as a, as a, a person. So that I can think, where does this guy hang out? Who is he? Where does he live? Where is he most likely to live in the US? What car is he most likely to drive? Yeah. Is he married? Is he single? Does he have children? You know, wh- where is he right now? Where is he sat at home right now? Or is he at work right now with his head in his hands? Or is he in a bar drinking too much? Where is he right now? What's he doing? So we can really build up a picture of the lifestyle so that we can be in those places, working out how we get in those places, what apps on his phone what social media does he use? Who does he follow on social media? Is he likely to follow maybe some of the celebrity kind of life coaches or the writers that we've talked about? Does any of that sort of um, come alive for you, Jeremy? I love the idea of personifying this, this target, even to the point of almost creating a character. Uh, number one, it sounds like a fun exercise, but number two, I think it, 
will translate well into how we speak to them and, and find them and connect with them. Um, so that's what the first thing we should do, I think, is, is to imagine where they are. I love giving people names and characters and lifestyles because if we can walk in his shoes and you have walked, it's it, Jeremy, it's you. It's the younger version of you. <laughs> so right, you know this guy really part. well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know him really well. You know where he lives. Yep. Where do you live? Where, where were you living <laughs> at this point, Jeremy, when you were our target market? Uh, very close by to where I live now, just you know, outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. Metropolitan in Atlanta, I guess, is what you would call it. Okay. So that's a great place to start. Are there, were there lots of other similar types of people living there? Similar men in similar situations working in tech? Is there a big tech employer in the area? The tech business is pretty heavy in Atlanta for sure. Yeah. Okay. So it's a good place. I was just trying to work out, it wasn't, you were just living in a, in a random place and there wasn't others like you. So if there is, well, that's where we'll start. It's the place that you know best. Let's start there. So if you were imagining you living in Atlanta, Georgia, living in certain neighborhoods or areas, like were you living in an apartment at the time? Were you single at the time? I think I was renting a house, not yet married, but in route to that. I'd been, you know, dating my wife for a while. So but I hadn't hadn't bought my own home yet, no kids, not married. Okay, so they're in rented accommodation, no kids, not married. So where are those neighborhoods where the type of so you can start to think of a location where they'll be now. If there's a particular neighborhood which is I mean I I just in you know, if I'm thinking here where I am now in, in Manchester in England, I know those neighborhoods here. I know the areas where those type of people live. And at that point, I'm sure I could go to a bar when we're allowed to go to bars or I can go, you know, even to where people play sport at the weekend or wherever it is and I'll be able to see them. I mean, can you pinpoint those individuals in those areas? Can you imagine them? Can you see them? I can imagine the areas. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So then we need to be in those areas where those young men go at weekends and the evenings and start to see if we can either pop up in there, if we can have some kind of, maybe you could start a group, a reading group. I don't know if a reading group would be the right idea. Some kind of meetup, a very sort of general free meetup, or would it be in the actual tech companies where they go to work, where you could have some kind of social aspect to it, where people could talk? Or you could find them on LinkedIn with that company LinkedIn. name. We oh, can find perfect. sales. Like LinkedIn is an amazing source of finding salespeople. Yes. You can just type in sales in the company and the location and you'll get an incredible you list. Can. You can. Mm -hmm. So you can find them on LinkedIn. They could be anywhere or you can go into their communities and be in their communities. Yeah. The interesting thing that presents right now is the lack of being able to get together. Because I used to pull groups together all the time and have exchanges and all of that kind of stuff just but that has to happen kind of on a more digital platform and i have i've have thought about so i've got a um you know a couple things that i have kind of going currently i've uh, i've set up a youtube channel that i've put a few videos up on but i planned on kind of making that kind of the the forward facing vehicle for right to know you and you know putting some content out from that perspective but yeah i don't know how we would how we would do the in person thing at this point yeah good point it's a bit difficult. I mean, I would love to. That's that's my nature. Yeah, you can do it online. I think the LinkedIn thing. Do you work on LinkedIn a lot? Are you active on there? Uh, a little bit. I wouldn't say like I'm super active, but I, I definitely. So I have a, I have a variety of other businesses too. So it, it depends on what I'm sharing and what I'm doing, which which again presents a little bit of a challenge just from a voice perspective, right? Because I'm I'm vocal in a few different industries. Okay. And would the fact, if you did go on LinkedIn and just be, you know, yourself, authentically yourself, absolutely that you are in different industries and you do do different things, would that necessarily be a bad thing? Because that kind of sounds quite exciting if no, I was to connect and start yeah. to have conversations with somebody who was doing all these different things, had a similar background to me, had found this, had gone on this journey, found this path, and now look at the life that you're living. I mean, it actually adds to the story. So that may be something that you could do on LinkedIn. It's so powerful, LinkedIn, at the moment, this idea of social selling and creating a following and helping people and the posting the contents and having the conversations, uh, building the rapport with people is quite exciting. The idea that you are speaking to salesmen on there who will also be, should be using it and probably are using it if they're working in tech. Absolutely. So would yeah. be open to it. And, of course, the idea of putting video up there. I mean, I'm sure you're doing it already. I actually and do giving a lot of, a lot of this away. Of video content, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But actually being really targeted 
really targeted and in fact trying to understand the issues and getting people to come forward to actually answer questions uh, and find out their problems because you or we've identified the younger version of you as your target market that sounds good so let's go out and try and find some of these young men and start to talk to them and get them to really start to tell us you know it, it wasn't just you they can join communities and they can speak to you if we ask them their problems their issues how they feel on a sunday how they feel when they get their bonus and what they think they will be doing in five years' time. And they may be able to give us more clues. Um, the more we find out about them, the more that we can match their needs to what actually your course can give them. So, yeah, so I, I agree with everything that you're saying, Katie. I think, so does it sound like the vehicle for this probably is is LinkedIn? I think that makes a lot of sense from just every salesperson that I ever know. Even when I was in sales, I mean, jump on LinkedIn to try and connect with people, right? So I would yeah. imagine they're doing a ton of that. Well, I think, Jeremy, that, you know, you're going to have to be an influence on there. You're going to have to, I don't know if you already are. I don't know how, how much time you spend on there, but um, you may be the next Gary V, really on there, the way that we're talking about this. You need to be out there and on there and a thought leader and an influencer because mm -hmm. your story will resonate with them. Your story is real. Uh, it's the truth. You've been through this process. You can help. They will self-identify as similar to you. I would say, especially at the moment, we have to be on, you have to be on social media and that would be the one for you. Second to that is actually being out there in their communities, in those areas. Now, I know we can't do that yet, but we will be able to, fingers crossed this year, to mm -hmm. actually be in those, those tech-heavy communities and tech-heavy neighborhoods. And also, a lot of the forward-thinking companies now I'm sure it's the same in the States, are employing coaches, are employing people to actually go and work with the successful people in their organization to help them. And I think, Katie, that's a, that's a great point. And I actually have a little experiment going on right now with, because um, I think the you know, human resources teams in these larger companies are looking for you know, wellness activities and coaching and, and that sort of thing. And I actually have one little experiment that I'm doing with one of the largest insurance providers out there doing a little mini test with them doing a one week course version of it so they can understand what the course is and um, you know decide if it's something that they want to put into programs for their clients. So I'm doing that test in February. That could be an interesting thing to, to dig into as well. Because I suppose that from the, the corporate point of view, the company point of view, keeping these young men employed by, if they're successful and good at their job, then they may need fulfillment in other areas or some coaching or help so that they don't feel that they're on this treadmill. And there is the opportunity maybe for them to stay with the organization, but to feel happier, not necessarily get off completely and leave the whole business. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. To be able to uncover things and, and know where they're, where they're going and, and being confident in that. Yeah. I think there's a lot of power with that and, you know, not to derail all of this discussion, and I don't think it will, but I came from, I came from the CrossFit world, the fitness world uh, as well. I was a CrossFit trainer for a long, long time. I was in CrossFit athlete for a while. And just noticing as I was coaching people in that world, you know, from a fitness perspective, there are so many parallels to turning that mirror on yourself from a mental perspective and the power of mental performance and all of that. So that's, again, another little experiment pod that I have where I'm talking to a couple of CrossFit gym owners about bringing the program to them as well. So don't want to seem scattered. I think we're still talking to that same version of me, but a bunch of years ago. But I think there, there's a, a bunch of these different experiments that we're looking at. Which I think is a brilliant way to look at it. That's exactly what you should do. You've decided on three different micro niches or target markets, and then you do an experiment. You put the offer in front of them, you bring it to them, you see if they want to buy, and that will inform where we focus on the next experiment. And I see marketing as a series of experiments. And if it works, we dive in deeper. And if it doesn't, then we'll try a different one. And yep. that's basically all marketing is. And if you look at the process we've been through today, We've looked at who are we going to reach? What are we going to offer them? How much are we going to charge them? And then how do we get the message in front of them? And these are the basic fundamentals of marketing that we always need to go through. And actually, time has absolutely flown. 
We've been going nearly an hour now. Can you believe it? Katie, what's the sort of wrap up of the next actions for Jeremy or where would you like to see Jeremy go with this? Well, if you were, if you're in agreement, Jeremy, that we, uh, I always keep saying we, it's actually you here, Jeremy, not me. <laughs> you. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's less lonely if you say uh, we. So let's, let's do that. Uh, we, I'm not going to do it. You're going to do it. Um, Damn it. I would say that if you agree that this is a, a, a target, a niche, this younger version of yourself, the first thing that I would do, and you may well have done this already, thinking about the, the conversation we've had, is go to your phone and find that person in your phone or who is the closest version of that typology, that description that you can phone right now and have a conversation with and say, I've just been on this podcast and we've just been talking about niching. And even though I've uh, resisted it a little bit because it's counterintuitive, we got to this point, you kind of fit the bill. What do you think? That's what I would do. That's a really interesting idea. Are you going to do it? Absolutely. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking, Katie Coombs. <laughs> Absolutely. And Alan's known me for a while and I'm a, I do my homework, you know, and I love assignments because doing the assignments, I don't have to think about the assignment, make up the assignment and do it. I just have to do it. So sometimes you just want to do it. So that's great. I love it. I will most definitely do that. Excellent. And that's one of the things I'm most inspired by, Jeremy, is your ability just to go and do it. And I find that so inspirational. And over the years of helping different business entrepreneurs, there've only been a handful that come to me for coaching and then actually do anything afterwards. And those are the ones that end up making things happen, making success. So I think the action after any conversation is critical. And I love that. Jeremy, will you come back on the show and let us know how you get on and what happens with this? I would love to. This is this has been a great experience just to kind of sit back and, and get your perspectives on how to organize and, and focus and put a definable experiment together. And uh, yeah, I would love to come back and, and share the results. Awesome. Awesome. Katie Coombs, any closing messages for our audience today? You should know I'm going to ask that by now. I know. I'm desperately trying to think of something <laughs> profound to say. <laughs> And I'm using this time to um, to say um a lot. And I'm going to use, I think, one of yours, Alan, which is, I'll nick it from you. Um, I love which that. Which is never, never leave the scene of a decision without taking an action. I love that. That's a great So I'll one. leave you with that one. Yes. And for everyone listening, go take action on what you've heard. Make it happen. The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. So get out there and make an extraordinary life for yourself. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a rebel entrepreneur.